next on Abounding Grace. The devil thinks he owns you, and I'm here to declare to you today that the devil does not own you. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the devil doesn't own your kids. The devil doesn't own your marriage. The devil doesn't own your calling. The devil doesn't own anything about you. But man, does he squat. And he pretends. And he lies. And he accuses. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for. Hello and welcome to Abounding Grace. We'll be continuing Pastor Ed Taylor's study in 1 Kings today on this final day of 2018. You can be sure in the year ahead you'll face an unrelenting enemy. But we don't have to cave in like the guy we'll meet today. Pastor Ed will encourage us to adopt the following defense. Don't listen or consent. Here he is to explain from 1 Kings 20. 1 Kings chapter 20 in a Bible study that I've entitled Facing Our Unrelenting Enemy. Because God in His mercy has dealt very gently with the northern kingdom in His desire to move His people back to Himself. When God is patient with you, when God is patient with me, it is not the approval of our sin. It's not the approval of our disobedience. It is patience that will lead us back to himself. Paul would put it this way. He would say when he wrote to the, to the Romans, he says, don't you know that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance? It's the goodness of God and the patience of God wanting to move. And we see that with the northern kingdom. We learn of the faithfulness of God through the life of Elijah, the prophet. A man just like us, used in incredible ways to speak to Ahab and Jezebel. Elijah's ministry comes to a close as he tosses his mantle on Elisha, his successor. And then they drop off the focus for about six years. And we pick up now in verse 1 with some insights during that time. Verse 1. Now Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his forces together. There were 32 kings with him, with horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. Then he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and said, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver and your gold are mine. Your loveliest wives and children are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, just as you say, and I and all that I have are yours. Then the messengers came back and said, Thus speaks Ben-Hadad, saying, Indeed, I have sent to you, saying, You shall deliver to me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children, but I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they shall search out your house and the houses of your servants, and it shall be that whatever is pleasant in your eyes they shall put in their hands and take it. Now Samaria was a part of Israel and is being attacked by Syria. And the king declares to Ahab, I mean, it's pretty bold, isn't it? He says in verse 3, Your silver and gold are, what does your Bible say? Mine. Your loveliest wives and children are mine. I mean, that's pretty bold. What belongs to you is mine, the king says. And what is the response in verse 4? King Ahab says, No way. These belong to the Almighty God. You're not getting any of it. No. His answer was, Whatever you want, just as you say. Ahab is 
hoping to get out of the battle by giving up what belongs to God. What belongs to God? The stuff of the kingdom was not the king's. Just like the stuff of your life is not your stuff. It belongs to God. It came from God. It's going back to God. You came into this world naked, and that's how you're going out. You're taking nothing with you. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes to us from the Father of lights above. Nothing is of our own accord. It all belongs to God. Now, this is an interesting exchange here because it's military. So let's keep that in mind. This is a military conquest. This is a king with armies telling another king, another nation, I'm coming to take everything that you want. Even like you see some of the squabbling going on among nations today in our own day and age. The, the kind of rhetoric and the types of things that are being said that may or may not come to pass. But they're, they're flexing their muscles with one another. It's not unlike the geopolitical things that we see on the horizon today with Israel, with neighbors, North Korea, Iran. Leaders on behalf of their countries threatening to destroy and to steal and to take away. And yet, let's not get caught up so much in the physical, but rather let's look at the spiritual for a moment. Because King Hadad, Ben Hadad, he becomes a type of the devil. And isn't it true that the devil in the demonic realm will often come to you and say, what is yours belongs to me. He, he, claim, he puts claim on our children. You know, the, the devil thinks he owns our kids. He, the devil thinks he owns our broken marriage. The devil thinks he owns the leadership of a church. Or he thinks he owns, quite frankly, he's a squatter on this world. And he thinks he owns the world. And he comes to very, very definitely that what's yours is mine. What's yours is mine. And he begins to lie to us. And he begins to accuse us. And he begins to discourage us. The devil thinks he owns you. And I'm here to declare to you today that the devil does not own you. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the devil doesn't own your kids. The devil doesn't own your marriage. The devil doesn't own your calling. The devil doesn't own anything about you. But man, does he squat. And he pretends. And he lies. And he accuses. Remember, jot it down. I won't ask you to turn. I want to read it to you. Luke chapter 22. Remember that exchange between Jesus and Simon Peter? Jesus was giving Simon some information he was giving Simon some, some insight into the spiritual realm that he didn't have. And he's recorded a saying in verse 31 of Luke 22. Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you. Does that sound familiar? Satan has asked for you. That he might sift you as wheat. And Jesus' answer was, but I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. But when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. It's an interesting response. I think if Jesus came to me and looked me in the eye and said, hey Ed, the devil's asked for you, my next question would, would be, well, what did you say? <laughs> yes or no? Because that's not really answered. He said, but I prayed for you that your faith will not fail, that the enemy's going to come up against him, going to attack him, test his faith, so that Peter, we know, in his life, he had great failure, he had great restoration. But later on in 1 Peter 5, he, ex he exhorts us, Peter does, later on after his restoration, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I think he's talking from personal experience here. I don't think he's speaking theory. The devil's walking around. I've met him. He sifted me like wheat. Come after me. The answer was in verse 9, 1 Peter 5, resist him steadfast in the faith. Ties well together with what Jesus said, knowing that the same sufferings you're experienced by your brotherhood in the world. 
Notice, pick up in verse 7 now. Then the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Notice, please, and see how this man seeks trouble. He sent to me for my wives, my children, my silver, my gold, and I did not deny him. And all the elders and the people said to him, Listen, you might even want to mark this. Do not listen or consent. Don't do it. That's what they're telling him. The enemy's come and he's asked for everything. What should I do? Don't do it. And you need that stern voice in your life at times. Don't listen. So don't listen to the lies and definitely don't consent to it. Therefore, verse 9, he sent to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, tell my lord the king all that you sent for to your servant the first time I will do, but this one thing I cannot do. Compromiser is what he is. And the messengers departed and brought back word to him. Then Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, the gods do so to me and more also if enough dust is left of Samaria for a handful for each of the people who follow me. So the king of Israel answered and said, tell him, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. And it happened when Ben-Hadad heard this message that he and the kings were drinking at the command post and he said to his servants, get ready. And they got ready to attack the city. This is encouraging. There were still people in the, in the condition of the nation and the condition of King Ahab and the condition of rotten Jezebel. There are still spiritual people in the land speaking forth the word of God even to kings. And if there were spiritual people in the world speaking to kings then, you can be assured that God has reserved spiritual people to speak into your life even after you make a bad mistake. Many times before, but even after. What a foolish thing to say. Oh, come and get everything. It's all just just don't, don't, destroy, don't destroy our country. Don't take away everything. Just take away some of it. And I love this. Don't listen or consent. Some of you need to write that on your mirror in the morning just so you're reminded not to listen to the lies of the enemy. Don't listen to him and don't consent to it. Don't listen to him and don't consent to it. It, it might apply to somebody in your life that has great influence but isn't speaking the truth to you. Don't listen to them and don't consent to it. Don't listen to the accusations. Don't listen to the gossip. Don't, don't listen. Don't consent. Because it can be a bit tiring, I have to say. This unending tack in the spiritual realm can be exhausting. Many people will refer to it as being exhausted. And, and really the only issue is the exhausting part of it is the spiritual battle that we're in. But today we learn, even in Ahab's life, to be encouraged. Jesus is praying we're resisting. The devil has a short time and he knows it. Don't cave in like Ahab, thinking that you will appease the enemy. You will never appease the enemy. You will never be able to pay the price that he is requesting because he's requesting it all to kill, steal, and ultimately destroy. Don't give up your kids on the altar of appeasement. Don't give up your marriage on the altar of appeasement. Don't, don't give up your home and your dedication and your years of walking with the Lord and all the years that your parents poured into you, everything that God has shown you, your radical conversion, your victory, the, the grace that he's shown you, how paid. Don't give it up because of a few little threats from the enemy. A few little threats, put up a fight. The enemy of God is never appeased or satisfied. He will take anything that we willingly give him. You know, he comes and says, I'm going to take everything. And what do we say? Well, we'll give you a little bit. He'll take it. But don't think he's going to stop. Because once he sees weakness in you, he's going after the rest. I mean, it's very basic. We need people in our lives who will look us in the eye when we're not looking out for ourselves. 
We, we need people in our lives that are looking out for us when we're not looking out for ourselves, that will look us in the eye and say, don't listen, don't consent. Turn to your neighbor and just tell somebody, don't listen and don't consent. Go ahead, say it out loud. Tell them, look them in the eye. And they're arguing with you right now, so say it again. Don't listen, don't consent. Okay, say I'm sorry now before being so mean. But pastor said so. No, I didn't tell you to be mean. I said do it in love. I was hoping you were going to hug. I was hoping you're going to be smiling. Don't listen. Don't consent. But it's true. Isn't that one of the greatest errors that we make in life as we listen to the lies of the enemy? And the more that we listen to the lies of the enemy, the closer we are to fall. Consent means agree. To give in. And isn't that, if you trace back so many of the failures we made in sin, it's been because we disobeyed these simple words. Simple. Don't listen. Don't consent. We need people in our lives. You know what happens when we have people in our lives is that, that are speaking the truth. If, if we're not in tune with the Spirit, we push people like that out of our lives. I have, unfortunately or fortunately, I would say fortunately on the side of the Lord, but to experience it, it can be difficult at times. I have a gift of exhortation. Not everybody likes that. Not everybody likes to hear that. Of course, over the years, I've had to learn to change delivery. I've had to learn how to deliver for the sake of reception. I mean, I'm, I'm still learning after many years of exercising this gift. And I can look back in some episodes in my life where God has improved that in my life and improved the delivery and changed my personality in, in such that I could deliver it. But I have seen, also seen over the years people distance themselves from me because if they come to me, and my wife as well, if, they come, if you come to us, just understand you're going to get the answer you're looking for. You're going to get it. If, I, hope, I hope that I'm hearing from the Lord and that I'm listening to him and, the, and you're going to get it. And most likely, you're not going to like it because it's going to require change on your part or repentance. It's, it's going to be helping us, you know, when you come and sit down with a pastor, you come sit down with a leader or a friend, you're, you're going to have a Bible open. You know what the Bible is? The Bible reveals itself as a mirror. So basically, if we're doing our job right and we're being used to the Lord, you're going to see yourself in light of the scriptures. And you know how it is when you wake up in the morning, you see yourself. It's not the prettiest picture in the morning. Otherwise, there'd be no makeup industry. There would be no hair straightening ministry, you know, industry. There'd be no toothpaste. Like all the industries, all that stuff that's in your, there would be no need for that if the mirror revealed perfection. And so the Bible, when you're opening it up, you go, you know what, this is the issue. No, that's not the, no, this is the issue. Go ahead and take it to the Lord. I just, sent a, I just sent a text to a brother on one of the coasts today saying, if the Lord is leading you to do this, you must do it. And he wants me to make the decision for him sometimes, I think, but I'm not going to make the decision for him. I'm going to point him to the Lord who's already revealed to him what he's supposed to be doing. And so people get mad. They get mad. They leave the church. I can't believe what kind of church. What are they doing? Why come there? Pastor Ed, Pastor Ed, he's so mean. He told me to wait two more weeks. Well, what's mean about that? I don't want to wait two more weeks. You'd be amazed how many excuses we make for our sinful behavior, and then it just takes a person, don't listen and don't consent. Well, you're not very nice. And then they go down to the next church. And then they get counsel there, same thing. You go, oh man, they must have been talking to Ed. No, they weren't. <laughs> and then what happens, I've seen this time and time again, they finally land in a church where the pastor or leadership agrees with them. 
and it ends in disaster. And then pride kicks in. And because pride kicks in, we don't see them anymore. They don't actually come to the place that could really help them because we've invested in our life for years and years and years. And we've invested through them. We've worked them. And, and you know, I told you, you're not going to get that. You're not going to get that. Hey, I told you so. But you are going to get, hey, let's go back to the word that God gave you and let's talk about why you avoided it. Don't listen. Don't consent. We need people in our lives, even if we don't like it, to tell us the truth. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Proverbs 27, 9, the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. Never abandon a friend, either yours or your father's. Then in your time of need, you won't have to ask your relatives for assistance. It's better to go to a neighbor than to a relative who lives far away. New Living Translation. I like that. Never abandon your friend. That goes both ways. Verse 13 now. Suddenly, a prophet approached Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I'll deliver it into your hand today, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So Ahab said, By whom? And he said, Thus says the Lord, Jehovah, by the young leaders of the provinces. And he said, Who will set the battle in order? And he answered, You. I mean, this is... If you'd like to write in your Bibles, right next to verse 14, grace. God is being so gracious that he would still deal with Ahab even as he is so horribly wicked and resistant and disobedient. God is so faithful. He's going to help him still. Verse 15, he mustered the young leaders of the provinces. And there were 232. And after them, he mustered all the people, all the children of Israel, 7,000. So they went out at noon. Meanwhile, Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings helping him were getting drunk at the command post. The young leaders of the provinces went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out a patrol, and they told him, saying, Men are coming out of Samaria. And he said, If they come out for peace, take them alive. If they come out for war, take them alive. And these young leaders of the provinces went out of the city with the army which followed them, and each one killed his man, so the Syrians fled. And Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with a cavalry. And then the king of Israel went out and attacked with horses and chariots and killed the Syrians with a great slaughter. Such grace. God is so gracious here to Ahab. Even though Ahab is not cooperating with the plan of God, listen, God still has a purpose and a plan to work out. He can supersede even our own disobedience, using what? All working all things together for the good to accomplish his plan. And he reveals to him the plan that he has to spare him. Now, I want you to see this. We can't just overlook it in verse 16. And I'm going to give you a different angle here in this warning about drunkenness. It says, meanwhile, Ben-Hadad, the king, and 32 other kings, and don't think of kings of huge, huge kingdoms. These are, these are little city-states that were run by kings, little tribes of hundreds and thousands, but, but still nonetheless. Don't, don't think of massive millions of millions of people of kingdoms. So you got 32 kings here, and they were helping him get drunk. Now, those are the kind of people you don't want to be surrounded by, helping him get drunk. Now, we see the folly of drunkenness and how vulnerable a person is, especially a leader king, when he's drunk. 
In Proverbs chapter 31, verse 4, it says, It's not for kings, O Lemuel, it's not for kings to drink wine, nor princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. The loss of Ben-Hadad, God didn't have to include this. Didn't have to include this little party he had with 32 of his kings getting drunk. But he did, because he wants us to associate failure with drunkenness. He wants us to associate exactly what we learn. It's not wise for kings, believer or unbeliever alike, to get drunk. That's Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. His message today, Facing Our Unrelenting Enemy, is one part of our series in 1 Kings. You can hear it in its entirety online at calvaryaurora.org. Just search for 1 Kings 20. Ed, as we close today, you pointed out that it's not wise for kings to get drunk. The Lord saw to it to associate failure with drunkenness. Could we also apply this to each of our lives, whether we're a king or not? Larry, you know, this is one of those topics that uh, stirs people up and, and unfortunately causes arguments and great difficulties, because most of the time there's an emphasis upon our freedoms and how we have freedom to do whatever we want. And, and I choose to approach it in a different way, and that's just to consider those that have been hurt by alcohol, those that are currently addicted to alcohol. I think of all the tragedy and difficulty that's related to alcohol, and, and I strongly encourage people to live a sober life. Um, that, that's what I believe the Bible wants us to have clear minds and clear heads, and it does apply, not just to us as leaders. I mean, the, the Bible couldn't be clear. This is a mom's advice to a son. It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine, nor princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and twist the justice of all the afflicted. And we just want to have clear minds in these days in which we live in order to be usable to the highest level for the things of the Lord. And so as we're heading in now, even today, today and tonight commemorates one of the most difficult evenings uh, when it comes to those that have lost a loved one or those dealing with alcohol. And, and one of the evenings where I believe m- the most alcohol is sold, uh, it's a party night. And, and I know that a lot of people are going to be entering in tonight, celebrating the uh, coming of a new year, never expecting to get intoxicated, never expecting to make say such things or do such things and things that they'll regret. And so my prayer, and I'm going to pray right now, is that as you're going in to celebrate the new year, that this would be the year you choose to do so soberly, not only for yourself, but as an example to all those that are watching you. And no matter what names you get called or even how you might feel, that the Lord would strengthen you. So Father, as we celebrate the ringing in of a new year in just a few hours, um, our heart's desire, God, is that we would do so soberly, with sober minds, um, not only for ourselves, but for the sake of your kingdom and for the sake of those that we might be an example to, that we would usher in the new year uh, in a way that honors you and to be free of any intoxicant, and no matter what it might be, that the 2019 will be greater even still in the Lord, and that those listening would be immovable, steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you again, Pastor Ed. 
This month, we've picked out a timely resource we think you'll enjoy. It's The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Sort of like a journalist, Lee Strobel investigates the biggest story in history. Is there credible evidence that Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of the world? Lee asks and answers the sort of questions a skeptic would pose. What will be your verdict in the case for Christ? We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through the generous support of listeners like you. We don't like to make a big deal about it, but it is important that we hear from you as this year draws to a close. Even if you're not in a position to be able to give, that's okay. You can still voice your support by just letting us know you listen, and that would be huge. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or write to Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. Tomorrow, we'll be in a new year, and we look forward to bringing you more of God's wonderful Word in 2019, so that together we can grow by God's abounding grace. Join us Tuesday when Pastor Ed Taylor returns to First Kings. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado.